0: Welcome to the Leadership Upside Podcast with Chuck Carringer, where we discuss what successful leaders are doing, saying, and thinking. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Leadership Upside Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck Carringer. Our guest today is Jason Brown. Jason is the resident agent in charge of the Secret Services Knoxville, Tennessee resident office. In this position, He's responsible for overseeing the Secret Service's investigative and protective activities in northeastern Tennessee. Jason, welcome to Leadership Upside.
1: Thank you, Chuck. Thank you for having me.
0: Jason, this is going to be a fun conversation. You're a Secret Service agent, a professional role that likely everyone has heard of, but may not have much information and understanding about the role itself. Before we discuss the leadership and team aspects of your work, please share your professional journey as a Secret Service agent, and your areas of responsibility.
1: Sure. Um, I was hired by the Secret Service in July 1999. Uh, at the time, I was working in Governor Paul Patton's office in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Uh, upon my completion of training, I was transferred to the New York field office where I was part of the New York Electronic Crimes Task Force. In that, I was in the Electronic Crime Special Agent Program which is a fancy term for our computer forensics units. Uh, From there, I was transferred down to headquarters where I was in the criminal investigative division, where I was one of the uh, first agents assigned to the site, what eventually would become the cyber intelligence section. Uh, What that section does is uh, target, target some very high profile international uh, subjects uh, perpetrating internet cyber enabled crime across the world. From there in 2008, I was detailed to the White House with the Homeland Security Council for President Bush and then stayed on for the national security staff with President Obama for an additional six months. During that period, uh, I was the director of cybersecurity policy and uh, worked on performing, uh, formatting the the White House's position on cybersecurity policy, as it deals with both securing both the classified and non classified computer networks uh, in the federal government. In 2009, I was transferred to the dignitary protected division, where I did time on the secretary of the homeland security's detail. From there, 2010 to 2014, I was transferred to President Obama's detail where I did four years there. Uh, I was promoted off the detail in 2014 to go back to the Criminal Investigative Division, where I was the supervisor over the Electronic Crimes Special Agent Program and our ECTFs, the Electronic Crimes Task Forces, and was eventually transferred within CID to supervise the Cyber Intelligence Section, which, again, I said I was part of back in 2006. So it was a nice full circle assignment. In 2016, uh, I was lucky enough to be uh, tasked as the resident agent in charge here in Knoxville, and I've been here ever since.
0: Pretty fascinating uh, career path, uh, Jason. And There's a a number of questions that uh, I look forward to to probing that a little bit further as we go in our discussion. I want to turn our attention to teamwork. First, as a Secret Service agent, how important is teamwork?
1: Teamwork is everything in the Secret Service. We are a very, very small agency when you compare us to other federal law enforcement agencies that are out there. And what's unique about us is we have a dual mission, both protective and investigative duties. And in both of those areas, we need partnerships. We need teamwork, uh, not only within the agents of the Secret Service and our support personnel, but also out there with our local, state, uh, and federal law enforcement partners, as well as corporate America. When I was in New York and started off the Electronic Crimes Task Force, that's what we preached all the time: was partnerships between uh, corporate America, academia, state and local law enforcement, and federal law enforcement in tackling the issues we see in uh, electronic crimes. When I was in the protection side of the house in Obama's detail, you just can't do your job as a Secret Service agent without tremendous support from state and local law enforcement. As I said before, we're a very small agency. Uh, We may only have a handful of agents that goes into an area to plan a visit by the president, but we may call on on beyond uh, tens or hundreds of state and local officers to assist us in those areas. Uh, Within the Secret Service, your investigative teams are very important, your squads or your offices that you work in. But uh, it still also falls over to when you're on the protective side of the house with your protective shifts, as we call it, the small squatter unit that you work with when you're on the protective detail. If you can't really work good in a teamwork environment, then you're destined to fail.
0: Jason, let, let me ask a follow-up to that. If you just had to summarize for someone, maybe in a business setting or, or whatever setting, based on your experience, what makes the best teams the best? The
1: best teams are those that listen to each other and appreciate everybody's attributes. We all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. And through your leader or your shift leader, if you're talking about a unit on a protective detail or the ATSAC or the, or the primary backup of a squad in the field office, it is your job to look at the strengths and weaknesses of each one of the agents that are in your units and prioritize your taskings for those areas based on those strengths of witnesses.
0: Got it. Very good. Jason in business teams encounter transitions uh, pretty regularly. New people join the team and others depart. Uh, Obviously listening to your career path, that is similar uh, in the secret service as the resident agent in charge. How do you go about blending new people on your team?
1: Uh, right back to what I said before, uh, assessing, assessing what their strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, we recently had a new agent just start in our office, and it was starting with ground zero with her. She was a tremendous uh, local law enforcement officer that we were able to hire away from a local uh, police department. But being an agent is completely foreign to her, so we need to nurture her, uh, train her. She will go to training and get our former training, but she also needs to learn how we do things here within the Knoxville office um we also need to assess the weaknesses of the office as a whole. Uh, our office is very senior. Uh, we have a couple of young agents, but for the most part, uh, most of us have over 15 years on the job in uh, Knoxville so but everybody comes from different backgrounds. Um, I'm an electronic crimes guy. that's what I did for my entire career other than being in and uh, protective detail. I have other individuals that are really good at money laundering. I have other individuals that are really good with protective intelligence investigations. It's being able to prioritize the experience of those people that you have in, your, in the office while also nurturing their development, ensuring they get the training opportunities they need to develop um, is very crucial. The other thing that's very important is to empower them to step outside their comfort zone. Um, One thing that I did, especially when I was assigned to criminal investigation division at headquarters, is to try to enable those agents that were with me there, since we were a very specialized unit looking at cybercrime, is try to assign them to assignments that were outside their comfort zone. I had a very, very senior, very able agent that was in my office. He hated public speaking. I made him go do it. I made him give speeches. I made him give presentations. And after, and he cussed me up and down the whole way going as I was making him do that. But uh, when I got ready to transfer out and since then, uh, he actually called me and thanked me for making him do that because now he's comfortable with it and enjoys doing it.
0: Okay, so let me ask you a follow-up to this one as well. Um, you used some really uh, cool words, words that, that often uh, connect to coaching, words like nurture and train. When you have uh, a new agent, uh, that's on your team as the resident agent in charge, how much responsibility do you feel for their success?
1: I think it's, it is it is incumbent on you to ensure they're successful, not only in their professional life, but in their personal life. Um, make them feel comfortable. Make them feel welcome. Uh, ask their input on what they're interested in doing. Uh, we're such a small office. We get every kind of case that you can imagine in the Secret Service. But I know some agents like electronic crime cases, some agents like elder abuse cases, some agents like cases involving credit cards. Other people enjoy doing counterfeit currency investigations. By getting input and and talking to them and figuring out what they like, that empowers them to do better. But then that also gives you a key in where you need to get them further training in those other aspects that they're not as comfortable with so you can, as you said, nurture them to be a better agent.
0: Yeah, that's super cool uh, to me how you are um, have not only involved in your agent's uh, development as an agent, but you you really take a, a degree of ownership in their overall success. And, and uh, for an organization that obviously there's uh, transfer, transfers and transitions, new people coming in, people going out, I think that's an awesome aspect of leadership. Let's let's transition to the topic of gaining influence. How do agents gain influence with their team and with the Secret Service as a whole?
1: I think more than anything, it's being uh, outgoing. It's it's getting outside of your comfort zone, uh, volunteering for assignments, volunteering for uh, development opportunities. Um, being willing to learn and probably the biggest thing is being able to admit your own faults if you can't admit that you have a a fault in your professional uh development and capabilities then you're never going to improve yourself.
0: Uh, you you offered such a great insight for any of us who are wanting to increase our influence within our own organizations or within our teams. And that is be willing to hold your hand up, volunteer for assignments, maybe assignments that aren't the most desirable, but just by the fact that you hold your hand up and say, Hey, I'll take that. I'll do that. Be a learner. Be always looking for opportunities to grow and develop as a professional Uh, It's some great advice, especially for early career professionals who are looking to gain influence, be willing to do some of the jobs that maybe not everyone else uh, necessarily wants to do. Uh, Regarding advancement, how does an agent advance to become a resident agent in charge?
1: Uh, The resident agent in charge, or RAC as we refer to it, is just a subclassification that we have within the Secret Service, um, the first line supervisors for the Secret Service that are not GS-14, our journeyman grade is GS-13. So if you come on as an agent, you stay for 20, 25 years, the top grade that you can receive within the government is GS-13. Within that, we still have shift leaders. We still have primary backups in investigative programs. We still have senior agents. You're recognized for your, your expertise, but you don't have any true supervision uh, responsibilities to get to the supervisory level, which is GS 14, GS 15, SES program and beyond, which is senior executive service. Uh, We have a testing uh, program. We have uh, your, your career accomplishment record, which we always refer to as your bride sheet on what you've done in the past. You have your supervisor evaluations. All this accumulates into a score and we have a regular bidding system. So whenever we have vacancy for supervisors in certain areas, headquarters on a regular basis would put out what we refer to as the bid list. And you would bid on, on one of those positions. And depending on your score, your work ethic, your reputation, that's where they would ultimately decide who would be the next supervisor in that post.
0: Interesting. Very interesting. Jason, you, you've advanced in your chosen profession. What advice would you offer for someone who wants to advance in their career, whether it be uh, in law enforcement or any other career are there some just general suggestions you would make for someone who wants to advance?
1: Uh, we've, we're we're hitting a dead a dead uh, arrow here. I mean, just seriously, always volunteer. Have no problem doing doing more. Uh, recognize what you're uncomfortable with. Never turn down any training. Seek new experiences. But most importantly, make sure you're what we refer to in the Secret Service, which Uh, Any of my Secret Service colleagues that hear this are going to cringe when they hear it, but a well-rounded agent uh, where you have experiences in all aspects of the job. But one thing that was very important for me and I think benefited me very well was latch on to a mentor, latch on to a supervisor that you have. Maybe they are your direct supervisor, maybe they aren't. But somebody that you see in a leadership post within your organization or outside the organization, for that matter, that you admire how they are as a leader. Um, I try to emulate multiple supervisors I've had in the past in my leadership styles. Um, are they all correct? No. Are they all politically correct? I would say even no at that. But some of the best supervisors I've had had no problem showing their their vulnerability in any type of supervisory situation, and we're able to accept that and empower you to be a better agent.
0: That's great advice uh, with regard to looking for something to learn from everyone that leads you. Uh, Some of it applies uh, directly, it fits your style, implement it, Uh, some of it are lessons learned that you don't wanna do, Um, and that's also valuable to learn. So, uh, great advice. Uh, For you yourself, at this point in your career, How do you keep growing and learning, uh, and developing as a leader?
1: I think you gotta be very critical of yourself.
0: You have to be critical of your
1: supervisory style, your supervisory decisions, uh, how you treat the people, not only that you supervise, but the people that you work with elsewhere in the secret service and with your state and local, uh, counterparts in the community you deal with, um. You need to learn how to accept criticism, hard criticism. If you can't accept the criticism, if you've got really thin skin, uh, being in a leadership post may not be the right thing for you. Um, prop up your your personnel, empower them, minimize accolades for yourself, but always uh, highlight the accolades of those people that you're attempting to lead. Um, those are the biggest things I can think of.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I love it about, it's a great reminder about the, the- at times, the critical uh, aspect that leaders, uh, leaders everywhere, leadership is challenging. Uh, when you're out in the front, you're an easy target, and and sometimes things don't go right, and when they don't, uh, the leader is going to need to step up. Most effective leaders do step up and own that, and there's going to be some criticism, and it's a great reminder about uh, that's an element of leadership that's often not discussed, but an important element, uh, especially to sustain leadership over a longer part of one's career you have to be able to, to come to peace with navigating through some criticism um, look for the takeaways not let it penetrate so deep that it wounds you and keeps you from from taking uh, uh, action next time or, or doing what you need to do because you're afraid you'll be criticized but it's a great reminder about that aspect of of leadership let's talk about communication no go ahead. One thing you're the
1: on there on Chuck, one thing that I've always said, I am not the most overbearing leader. I'm not the, uh, we have some very strong alpha personalities in the Secret Service and we need those. Uh, but I am not, I don't believe at least I'm one of those people. Uh, one thing I heard in high school that I think was always very important is a leader is nothing more than another follower following in front. So if you're not following where you feel the direction of your office is going, as long as it's going good, and you're not listening to the people that you're working with and following along with them on that mission, then you're sticking out in front in a very non-productive manner.
0: Awesome. Jason, I want to tag on to what you just said about the differences in leadership styles. And, you know, as people are listening to this, there, there might be a prototypical uh, style that Many people envision what you call that alpha leader, that, that, that leader who's an extraordinarily take-charge type leader. I think what you just highlighted and has been my observation in all fields of work is that uh, good leadership can be carried out uh, in a variety of different styles that is authentic to the leader themselves. In fact, one of the aspects that the best leaders embody is they use best practices of leadership Within their own personality, uh, they're they're true to themselves. They're authentic and they're genuine. And I think it's extremely uh, interesting that even in a profession that um, is is noted for for its strength and obviously the the critical role that you play, uh, the Secret Service plays uh, in our nation, uh, that there are are different leadership styles that can be very successful. Let's transition to communication for a minute. My observation is the best teams, they communicate effectively. Can you offer some communication tips for team leaders?
1: Yeah, be open. Uh, The old adage of open door policy, always seek out input from others to ensure uh, what you're doing as a leader is being A, received well, and B, is actually effective. Um, I'm a rather hands-off supervisor to my senior agents in my office they've been doing investigations for their whole career it's my job to make sure that we we check all the boxes make sure that the direction of the case is going in the, in the right way but i have agents that have they're highly experienced investigators and they have almost uh, autonomous control over their cases they're not going to hear from me unless something blows up because i trust them um and one thing that I had a problem with when I first got to Knoxville that I picked up right away, when I was in the headquarters uh, as a supervisor, it was more administrative. It was very um, dictating the policy, making sure everything was moving along, signing paperwork, reporting up the chain when things came out of the unit that leadership would need to know about. When you're here on a, on a small level, especially in in Knoxville, you know we have a total of five or six agents. The reason I say that is because we still have one in training uh, that can actually do investigation, but we cover 24 counties in mm-hmm. Northeast Tennessee. And, um, as a result, I'm one of the few racks in the secret service that actually carries a caseload. Um, I still work cases. Uh, I believe I have to, to A, keep my skills sharp, but also help burden the load that we have going on in our district. But that's where it raises a problem. When do you delegate? When do you not delegate? Uh, what do you do yourself because you know you can handle it? Or what do you push off to uh, another one of your agents to handle so you can address another issue? Those are all very important. And that's somewhere where communication becomes very important because I may get something in. It's like, OK, I'm just going to I'm going to take care of this real quick. And you do it and it takes half the day. And one of your agents come in and ask you what you're doing. and You're telling them what you're doing. Like, well, hey, boss, I could have done that for you. No, 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 I got it. It's okay. You got other things. Yeah, but you do too. It's communication within the team on what the priorities are, when to delegate, when not to delegate, what to do, what not to do.
0: That's good. Uh, Jason, do you have a rule of thumb on delegation? Like what's your general operating philosophy or delegation philosophy with regard to what you keep and what you delegate to members of your team?
1: Can I put the fire out quickly so one of my agents doesn't have to be annoyed with it? Or is it more of a long term issue that's gonna take day to day attention that I may, as the supervisor of the district, may not be able to lend to it?
0: That's good. Very good. Uh, Jason, you have a demanding job. And when I was listening to your career path as you were sharing that, uh, you were on presidential uh, protective details. And I can't imagine the responsibility of that role. So you have a very demanding uh, job in a variety of ways. How do you go about maintaining some balance between work and life?
1: Um, First of all, I prioritize time for my family. Um, I've got two school age boys. My wife is a very successful medical professional as well. Um, So I prioritize time for my family. Um, Secondly, my calendar is an open book. Uh, Our administrative officer in in, uh, our office she she she's the grand poobah of the office. She runs the office. She tells me what to sign. I don't argue with her if it's administrative. She's forgotten more administratively than I have ever learned in the Secret Service. But one thing I do with her is Outlook calendars. We we maintain that like many businesses do different platforms. We use Outlook. She has direct access to my calendar. She knows where I am every day, every hour, every minute. That way, if something comes up, she knows, oh, okay, he's in a meeting right now. Maybe we can address this later, or I need to interrupt him. Also, I'll try to say to do something you love. Uh, I love to play golf. I play golf very poorly, but I love to play golf. So that's one of the things I try to do. The other thing is, um, especially coming out of this post-COVID time, health is very important to me. Uh, getting my physical shape even better than what it is. Um I meet all the job duties. I can do what I need to do to do the job, but I want to be better. I want to continue to challenge myself um, and continue to develop in that way. Uh, And most importantly, you can't do all this without adequate rest. Um, Something I've really learned, I would say, in the past six months because I battled a little case of insomnia with everything going on is prioritizing actual physical rest. Being able to get that time to get sleep, to let your body recharge so you can form as a leader, as a father, as a husband, and as a well-functioning adult.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. A couple of things I, I do want to highlight uh, that I think are so valuable to all of us. What you just said about rest, I think it's easy for leaders to neglect uh, that part of their well-being. Uh, first of all, the job's de- uh, demanding. Uh, there's always more to do. It doesn't matter, really, what your leadership role is. There's more to do, and perhaps for a, a good portion of time, um, you know, being able to to say uh, I only got four hours sleep last night, or I only got three hours sleep last night, may have been viewed uh, as some, you know, badge of of. Uh, uh, you know, merit or, uh, you know, uh, uh, something to be proud of. And I I think as we're learning more about uh, being our best, uh, it only makes good sense that uh, getting adequate rest, whatever that number looks like, uh, I understand has some fluctuation, but it's not three. And so, um, you know, whether it's eight hours or seven hours a night, Whatever that number is th- that makes us our best, I think that's a great reminder that we need to allocate for that. And then your your, your first point about uh, that, that balance that you seek in life, uh, that you're intentional about it. You prioritize, and you mentioned specifically your family and, and obviously um, your, your overall well-being, but it doesn't happen without a great deal of intentionality. And I, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, Jason, this has been uh, fantastic. You've given us a little bit of a glimpse into the leadership aspect of the Secret Service. Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to mention?
1: I can't think of anything right now, Chuck.
0: Well, we really appreciate you being on Leadership Upside. Uh, It's fascinating to hear about uh, what, um, what the leadership aspect and the teamwork aspect is in the Secret Service. Thanks for listening to this episode of Leadership Upside where we discuss what successful leaders and diverse organizations are doing, saying, and thinking. Today, our guest has been Jason Brown of the United States Secret Service. Jason, thanks again for sharing your experiences and insights. Until next time on Leadership Upside, I'm Chuck Carringer. Thanks for listening.
1: Thanks for joining us today.
0: Head over to chuckcarringer.com for more information.